dialed in to Box and Brews, you might hear something you can use. Like tips on your cash or tips on the suds. You're going to want to use the smarts of these stuff. Because they know the brews. And they know the box. And they know they can't help the stubborn fucks. So listen up, because shit's not funny. And save yourself some beer money. Bucks. And, and brews. Bucks and brews. And brews. Bucks and brews. Welcome back to Bucks and Brews. Uh, Nick, you made me be here alone this week. I'm sorry. I'm kind of uh, sad about it. Well, you know, you should be because we enjoy getting to be with each other for the company. But we we're, we're, we're at least, you know, this close. This yeah, this still. close. What do you, what do you 10 miles away. Uh, again, I have odd sides after dinner mint. Still good here. It's so good. And then after that, I got a Mangers pear, Irish cider. And then if I am feeling it, uh, I got a hard Mountain Dew. So. Oh, there you go. I, uh, I, just, I decided to go with the uh, 1844 uh, PBR. Cause, and I think it's from 1844. That's how long it's been in my fridge. It's in, It was in the bottom. <laughs> it's got to taste awful. I'm it, no tastes great. <laughs> Swear uh, every, and then, every PBR is awful. Ah, oh, dude, you know what? Like your your cho- uh, your choice of light beers is just crappy. Nobody likes Miller Lite. Um, New Glar- and Then I went with New Glarus uh, Brewing, which we know I love. I'm love I'm doing the and because this is going to be a really great episode for me, and it's something realistic focused i absolutely love i decided to bring out one of my new glarus wisconsin belgian reds because it's hands down top three favorite beers of all time so and might as well have my favorite beer with my favorite subject right absolutely <laughs> so we're joined tonight i'm gonna i'm gonna try to do this without fucking it up with uh steven Potaski. nailed it steve see i'm good uh steve yeah. is joining us tonight steve tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, i know you're not drinking anything yet but what will you be drinking it just showed up, fellas, oh. right, right, right in the midst of the intro. So Perfect. Uh, I, I had to go, I would say, not great distances, but as you know, in the pre-call there, I was, was waiting for this to arrive. It's nice and cold. Aloha Warrior Micro Brew in the Big Island of Hawaii. Delicious. Awesome. We'll get a little, yeah. And uh, cheers, fellas. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for cheers. joining us. Oh, it's going to be a good hang. Yeah, so thank you for, you know, for having me. Yeah, so my name Steve Potaski. I'm from Edmonton, Canada. Um, but I kind of rotate around a little bit. Our businesses um, uh, give you the rundown later. So we'll talk real estate, which is awesome. That uh, you dig the content, Nick, will be uh, be a fun conversation for sure. And because our real estate, you know, portfolio of things we've grown over the last twenty years is in different parts of the world. Big Island has kind of become a bit of a second home for us. We did a project here a number of years ago and working on something new. And so we've built a real nice community here. So I spent a little time here in the winters. Kids play, you know, outdoor sports, which is not conducive in uh, in Western Canada this time of year. Uh, beach volleyball and golf, so definitely slow sports when it's minus, you know, forty out, which you probably know. But like minus forty is when Fahrenheit and Celsius cross, so they're actually the same. Uh, yeah. Very, very painful. But I love my home. I love Edmonton. But it's been an awesome journey with the kids. They're seventeen and um, seventeen this month and thirteen. So. Fortunately, they uh, they force us to go to uh, some nice destinations and allow them to pursue their passions. Well. We get to pursue ours around real estate and um, and doing some cool things. That's it's awesome. Amazing. All all the entire pre chat that we had, I didn't hear any Canadian from you, and then all of a sudden you started giving that talk, and I was like, "Oh, eh, 
all right, calm down, eh? Uh, Timmy Hortons, I just, I really thought it was coming out of your mouth. Uh, um, it just wait till I say that bout. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Steve, just because I, I, I love to humble people when they come on here, we Let's did a little it. research, right? And um, you started your company back in 2007. Yep. Right? For, for David, I mean, he was already living his whole life and getting there. I myself had just graduated high school. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do you like that, boys? I was um, only 30, okay? Tell us <laughs> a little bit about your company, what you guys do, and uh, how, you're, how you're in Hawaii currently. Yeah, no problem for sure. Well, it's uh, it started off not like with a – I've always had a passion for real estate. I was never very good at it. I think like anything, if you, if you love something, you spend a lot of time at it. You know, you start to get proficient over time, but I certainly wasn't proficient to start. It all just came out of a concept of a problem that my wife and I were having, which was a baby. And uh, my wife was pregnant in 06 uh, with our boy. And uh, all of her friends were saying, oh, God, travel's going to suck for you guys. As soon as your baby comes, like, you never go on airplanes. It's a disaster. And you go to homes and it's terrible. And and we're like, man, like, we like, this is how we got to form this romance is based around travel and, and experiencing some really cool parts of the world together. So we thought there's got to be like a better way for us to continue the travel on, but in our, in our new season of life, which is with, with the child and eventually, eventually two of my daughters born. So this would be end of 06. We kind of snowballed some ideas and basically we're just kind of shooting the shit. Wife and I said, well, what would be the perfect scenario for us? And we kind of weighed out the, basically the three options. The first option was booking a hotel, which was great from a consistency perspective, which is kind of good for a new parent. Like, you know, that the linens are clean and bathrooms work and there's, there's, you know, everything works. It's certain, but at the same point, it's small and nothing like sucking the romance out of a, a relationship when your child's in the room, you know, when you're a baby or in a playpen or in the closet or wherever, wherever you can put them that's safe in the hotel room. So we thought, okay, hotels are done with us. Then we thought vacation rentals would be good. Now remember, this is 06, 07. So Airbnb didn't even exist. It was just like Verbo. And uh, back then things were not that they, they have improved, but when we get to like the, the where we are today, they didn't have consistency. So you book this like really amazing, you know, home that you see all these great photos of the pool and it's great. And you show up there and pool's green and the linens are pilled and the bathroom's dirty and like the, the homeowner's toothbrush is still in the drawer. And it just like was kind of, a, you know, just not a great experience as new parents. We just didn't, we it didn't work for us. We needed some certainty. And then the third item was we had no money, but the idea was what if we just bought our own home and we had, we could go to Hawaii, but we didn't have one tenth of the value we needed to acquire the type of home we wanted in Hawaii. But the cool thing with owning your own home is it's totally certain, you know, exactly what you're going to get, but then it also lacks variety. So in addition to no finances, um, you know, we didn't, we still wanted to move the kids around and ourselves and have different experiences. So we thought, wouldn't it be cool if we had our own portfolio of vacation homes around the world, set up the standard that we want, like combining like the three benefits of hotel, vacation, rental, and owning your own home. And we're like, yes, that's what we want. So how, how do we do that? And we just went and shared this kind of exact, our exact problem with 15 friends and family. My parents put in a couple hundred grand. We put in a couple hundred grand. We found 16 others that all contributed and raised three and a half million bucks uh, in early 07. And we bought three properties, we bought a condo in Maui, uh, a property in Phoenix, Scottsdale, and that property in like Lake Country in, in uh, Western Canada. And we thought, amazing. Now we have like our golf set up. We've got our beach set up and we've got our, our ski summer property. And we all had a fraction of this. We paid all cash. 
uh, and just bought these properties together. And we, you know, our job as the manager was basically to take care of everything for the other 17 people, pay the bills, utilities, organize the experiences, build, like we had this vision to build my concierge to plan stuff. Like where's, you know, if you guys like breweries, like what's the coolest brewery on Maui, you know, like what, how do you organize these really unique experiences. And then all of a sudden the money was in the bank account. We didn't have a bank account at the time. All these people wrote these, these checks and I don't, I'm not sure, like I give them major kudos because we didn't have, we had a vision, but no clarity to it. And certainly no like infrastructure to support it. But I give all the um, gratitude to the those 16 people that gave us the money blindly who believed in what we were going to create. And so that kind of kicked things off. And then as it rolled for the next seven years, it ended up being just a really good, you know, fortunate run. The Great Recession hit, um, but in Western Canada, particularly Alberta, the economy was still strong. So we're able to bring on lots and lots and lots more families while we're buying real estate at, you know, lifetime lows during the recession. So we got some spectacular homes. And it's, it was kind of a blur that we almost raised a hundred million bucks in seven years and bought 50 properties around the world. So just as like, I, I still don't know how it happened. Like, honestly, guys, I, I think back to then, I had another career at the time. My wife was a journalist. So we both had our own things going, raising two kids, but it just snowballed in a way that, you know, I don't know if it'll ever be replicated again, literally on the planet. And there's only about five of us that ever got to that size. It's just a kind of a hard business to grow. So we're very proud of that. And that was kind of the kickoff to Luxus. And I'll give you like two other quick stories. And I'll kind of, I'm sure, get you a bunch of questions, but what we realized in that, we thought, well, wow, we did that pretty good. Maybe we could be really good at developing. Let's go do some ground up projects uh, in different parts of the world. We created these like really cool relationships in places like Italy and US and Hawaii, which is almost like its own country in some ways, how they run things here. And uh, we thought we'd create these projects. And the concept was ground up development for homes um, that were going to be short-term rental friendly. And so this is like a kind of a neat topic around the whole short-term rental space. You've probably seen like all this regulation coming out, like states and cities are banning it or heavily regulating it. This was like the starting point of that in, in 14. And so we created these three projects, one here in the Big Island, as I mentioned, where I'm at right now. That's why this place became a you know, special place in our, our family's lives. Um, although financially it was almost devastating and almost bankrupt us. So aside from, aside from that side, lots of punches in the throat along the way, erupting volcanoes, pandemics, um, a number of curveballs we certainly didn't expect when we kicked the whole thing off. We did a small project in California, and then we did this uh, project in Tuscany, um, which was like a restoration. We created a, a fractional property where we bought a ruin and restored it to become a, like a luxury private villa. So it looks like there were three darts on the board randomly, but they were there was some you know thought and intention put into it. And we took us seven years, you know, and again, it was a hard journey. You know, one did pretty well, one did kind of break even, one got crushed, but they all finished, which is kind of maybe the most important part of my like story is um, because they all are world-class now that they're done. But during the, the time of it, I'm, we were just debating how to survive on the whole thing at the end of the day. And so it was a crazy run, fun, and then the pandemic hit. And then we get our kind of our third iteration of Luxus, like our next seven years. And that's when we've now shifted a little bit. We kind of, we did catch some, we had some COVID punishing headwinds and we had some really good tailwinds and the tailwinds helped our development side, our ground up side. And now we're working with uh, brands like Marriott and Four Seasons on large ground up projects. Uh, and then we are, that's kind of the development's office is based in New York and Italy. And then uh, our vacation rental business that uh, we had in the pre-chat is about trying to build this portfolio of vacation homes. Instead of having to be an owner, like a fund owner, like an equity owner of the thing, you, anyone can rent around the world. So you just go pick a property on our map and we're just in the launch phase. So it's kind of fun to do a podcast like this because we're launching this month. 
we want to build it to be, you know, three, four, 500 properties in the next five years globally. And no matter what property you go to, whether you're coming to Hawaii, you go into Lake Country, Italy, Cabo, doesn't matter. You get the same sleep, you know, the same type of beds, the same pillows, the same towels, the same kitchen stuff, same, every place has a bottle opener, whatever the things may be that are important to make sure you have certainty when you go to home. So long story long, that's the scoop. It's been kind of a wild last 17, 18 years. So we're in kind of a different, diff in a couple of different places, but they're all around kind of that mid-luxury to luxury real estate side. And um, it's been fun, guys. I mean, honestly, I feel very blessed that we're here, um, despite it being hard as all hell and sometimes, but all great things are hard, as you guys know. It's funny because a couple of minutes ago, I saw Nick's face and I, you absolutely blew his mind. <laughs> hey, I know he loves real estate, so it's good. And Nick, fire some questions my way, man. I'm happy to answer anything. Awesome. So like the, the first question that um, is, so you've, you've kind of already answered, right? You did private money with yep. friends and to get there. Correct. Um, and, and, and you guys paid, so you, you paid cash and then everybody just gets a split of your, uh, of when it makes profit then. Right. So. Correct. Was, okay. Um, like that's huge to like find that type of people that are willing to take that risk. Right. Most people, you know, like when I get hard money, I mean, it's, it's a 13% interest rate or whatever it yeah. might be for, you know, payments. And, and you don't get that time to get your crap together and, and then make money. Right. It's, yeah, you better make money. You better make money yesterday. Right. So, Correct. um, you know, so the, the, the one question that, uh, we had was, all right. So you started with three properties. Um, and then you got, you said you built a portfolio of like 50, 50. Yeah. Okay. So, how the the question was how do i how do i go from three to 50 like how do i how do i expand and find that type of a thing yeah no it's a great question i i think there's a couple different ways there's the accelerated route and then the long game route and so when we kicked off the first version was the long game because we debated you know very heavily about taking on debts you know especially the time when debt was well i mean the good old days when it was like freed now <laughs> it's very very expensive debt but our model, original model wasn't predicated on debt. So even though we're like, wow, we could raise a million bucks and buy two $1 million properties and get after it. But we were playing the long game under kind of a different model where the intention always was to use very little debt, almost nothing, and buy these things with cash. At which point, I mean, the thesis was in 07, of course, we didn't know the Great Recession was coming, that if there is an economic reset, we don't have to sell properties to take care of you know liquidity issues or whatever it may be. So we, if you look at it, in real estate should be generally looked at the long game. I've done a lot of short-term flips and I've used hard money and I've done, you know, individual deals. It can kind of create its own little pocket of wealth. But this particular business was like 10 to 15 year plays. And it was hard as a 26 year old thinking about this, but I've always, mindset's always been in five or 10 year increments for these, these types of gains. And as a result of that, when the great recession did hit, we were opportunistic during that time versus have to be on defense like so many others that were highly levered through subprime loans and everything else so i'd say that to answer the question would be you're playing the long game you know especially in a time like this when debt is so expensive and it's higher than cat unless it's a flip or something like that where you can make a better return than say 13 percent on a hard money loan which is very standard these days i mean that's even low compared to some of the things we've seen it's, it's expensive money out there uh, and there are going to be opportunities in this cycle and so sometimes it definitely makes sense to accelerate, put the pedal to the metal during these types of economic resets of uncertainty. 
Or if it's a business, in this case, this it wasn't just about acquiring the real estate, it was about building a business around the real estate. It's kind of this private equity club, so to speak. You know, it's like a 10-year play and there's nothing that makes money fast. Everything is slow, but you're going to make money because you're playing the long game. As you know, with real estate, if you can hold on to it for long enough and don't have much for debt, then you're going to make money. It just comes down to how long you got to make. So there are kind of a couple of different strategies and the whole friend and family game, which we still do play a little bit where we have you know, a pretty strong circle of friends that invest with us in various projects. Um, we're shifting a little bit more to institutional money now, but it took us 17 years to get there to actually build any sort of credibility where family offices and institutions, and we're still building that credibility. I, I frankly think like 20 years, I know guys have done it in five, three, 10. I'm not smart enough, I guess. So it took me 20 years to actually earn the credibility to actually go to these types of companies and say, hey, give me a you know, a $10 million check or 20 million or 5 million or something like that. And then, then you can really accelerate growth because the capital is more fluid, but friends and family is, you know, how I started and how so many do in real estate and you just go hustle and bustle and try to turn around a couple wins. And then, you know, most people re recycle and get after and do it again. And if you can prove that over time, then, you know, that friends and family cycle will never really end, which is great. Yeah. So you started uh -oh. with these first three properties, Scottsdale, uh, Maui and, Canada. Yeah, BC, British Columbia, yeah, Canada. Okay, yeah. so how did you pick these three areas? You know what, that was, it was fun out of it. Like when we, my wife and I looked at what are the three areas that we love. So I, I like golf, I like skiing, I like the beach, sure. you know, wife likes heat, you know. So like all these things were like, okay, what's just like great lifestyle destinations that in our case, close proximity to Edmonton, Canada, that we have a direct flight to and can make easy access to. So there was really no science. I mean, there was a little more science around acquiring the properties themselves, but the destinations were chosen based on the lifestyle that we wanted to live. And it just so happened that, you know, our original 16 friends and family all shared a common like vision of that lifestyle. As we were growing and the, the investor base was growing more across Canada, we never grew in the US. There's always Canadian investors in that first cycle of the business. The interest changed. Oh, I'd love to have New York and I'd love to have the Caribbean and how about Europe and Latin America? So then we started to say, okay, well, we had a big enough pool to say Latin America. Then it's like, okay, well, where in Latin America? It's a big, multiple countries, multiple different things. Then you just kind of drill your way down to get to a point where you find the best community, the best area left, the best, because all these things translate into potentially a better return as well. You can take an up and coming area like, I don't know, Belize isn't necessarily up and coming, let's say like second tier to Mexico and Costa Rica. But it's it has probably a little more you know room for upward growth, or you could take like a Nicaragua where it's going to be dirt cheap, but it might be twenty years to never before that really gets to that next level. So we took all that into our analysis because we had to get more sophisticated on how we were acquiring assets before is shooting from the hip and I'd fly to Maui and we'd look at properties for two days and be like, let's go buy this one. And then it got to a point where we have kind of a team, we do a bit more analysis, and you spend a lot more time because we didn't not all decisions are right even. The you know, only thing that kind of saved us through some of that was the pricing was so good, but we probably could have made better decisions along the way. You know, in hindsight, it's 2020, of course, but uh, now over time, you, just, you start to get good at things when you start making mistakes and realize what hurts when it, you know, when it's not good. And oh, wow, these, these won. And we put a lot of thought into this, and these ones had the biggest gains. So, how do we replicate that in the new version of, you know, a different part of Costa Rica or a different part of different Caribbean island or whatever it may be? So you, you, you like golf. I like drinking. Yes. Golf, golf happens to be a thing. Um, so what, what's your handicap? Uh, I, I'm a scratch. It's uh, so I, I play, I, yes, I, I did play junior golf and, and college golf. So it was something that now I went from 
probably like a plus two or three in college to probably almost an eight or nine handicap when I was having kids and not golfing at all, but very fortunate. My boy loves to play golf and he's pursuing college golf. So I get to play a lot again, you know, compared to what I used to. So my handicaps coming down again to where, of course, when you're good at something at some point and then you get really bad, I didn't even want to play. I felt like I just sucked, mm. even though it's all relative. I just feel like a tool. So glad you said, I, I'm in the same spot. I, I used to be a good bowler, right? I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I was, you know, well above average scholarship, all that. And like now Love it's it. like, I, I don't do it enough. And like, I just don't give a crap. Like people ask me all the time, Hey, what do you average? And I say three pitchers and five shots. Like I'm there. to <laughs> <do something>. like, <laughs> um, So like that, I mean, honestly, that's a, that's a great thing. The, the next question we had, a lot of my friends are in this Airbnb field and they're in yep. So there's two questions I'm going to ask at the same time. One, you kind of, you talked about it earlier with, uh, you know, regulations and, and them trying to stop these types of things. How, like, especially, okay. As an American, yeah. we are so dense in our brains to think the rest of the world is like us. Right. <laughs> so how do you find what countries will allow you to, to own there i mean granted you're you're canadian so i don't know um i don't know if you have the same like so do you have your american citizenship now uh, i'm working on we're gonna, I'm working on our visa right now so we you know we even though i have an office here we do travel here for work but so not citizenship still a canadian citizen but will be a um a, v, a visa holder in the u.s uh for the long term so like is it easier for a canadian to own in different countries than it is for an american um uh, pretty similar, to be honest. Like it's um, there's the, the there's all these treaty laws between all the countries you you know generally invest in, you know, Western Europe and Latin America. So pretty much the tax kind of thing works out to the same kind of gig. And as an as an actual owner, it doesn't really change much. We're pretty much treated the same, whether it's Mexican buying here, or me buying in Mexico, or vice versa. The rules are different on the ground, but they don't necessarily preclude foreigners from the types of investment. They just fall sometimes under different rules, like in Mexico. A non-Mexican can't own within, I think it's 40 miles of, of the ocean. So they run this kind of complicated trust program. You probably heard about it, but it acts as if you are the real tight owner on property when it's actually controlled by a you know this trust program. But that doesn't change for me or you or David Biden. It's just kind of just understanding the rules. If there are risks, you know what, like if uh, you know if you go to a, a less stable country that has the risk of you know government saying, ah, I'm going to take all that real estate back. Like, I don't know, Mexico did that in the sixties or something like that. So, you know, that's, there's a real risk, but it's, it's pretty limited in these kind of key markets. Um, I noticed I, I, Mexico, just because I'd like to be there. Um, yeah. In my, I, I live in Michigan. We're just going to call it the uh, suburb of Canada. So like my, <laughs> my, my it sucks. Um, you know, when I was younger, I never thought I would, I grew up very poor, right? We didn't travel. We didn't do these things. Hmm. So I just like, and I never thought I'd be a snowbird, right? Because I was like, eh, <laughs> not, like it's not, but like now, like I'm 35, which doesn't seem old to you old people, but like it's old. <laughs> now I'm tired. I'm tired of winter. I'm tired of shoveling. I'm tired of this. Yeah. And so it's like, hey, how can I? And so we, my wife and I went to Mexico and I'm like, I'm buying here. And then I started looking and then I found out I can't buy on the ocean right like i yeah it's yeah. cheap right but like i can't buy that and so now i'm working on figuring out how to beat the system and things like that but uh you know like you know i, I have friends that are from there and stuff like that because you build friends with people right and so it's like all right hey not to trust you and say hey you own it it's i'm throwing my money away at this point but 
will own it eventually kind of a thing. Um, yeah, I don't blame you on the snowbird thing, man. In northern northern U.S. is very similar to northern Canada. Or Canada. It's, it, the winters, I mean, some people love it, and it's the different. And I grew up loving the seasons, but I don't blame you. The shovel in the snow and all that stuff gets hard, and we're lucky, I don't know, lucky, fortunate, and strategically fortunate that we've been able to do this. But I don't blame you with the idea of wanting to have a place in Mexico to chill out in the winter. And uh, especially if you're in real estate and you have some flexibility, you can do podcasts remotely. Like the world's changed a lot and allows you to be able to work from anywhere, which is, which is pretty cool. So speaking of that, right. Allowing you to work from anywhere. Um, the other question. Okay. So do you, I'm assuming the answer is no, but never assume anything. Do you mm-hmm. physically do the work on these properties yourself? And if not, how do you find contractors? Cause you said you're in Europe, you're in, other countries how do you find contractors how do you vet this to actually have people that you trust and are going to make this happen yeah so it's a really good question so the first answer is no we, we definitely don't build anything in the other countries it's always hiring contractors generally it's a general contractor and then they deal with the subs from there the it's, it's kind of like any whether if you do it in your home you, you know in michigan or you do it in hawaii or do it in mexico or italy you just interview and find really great people and I found that there's always great people in these different countries. It just comes down to finding them, you know? So who is a really well-respected contractor? How do we get referral sources? Who, how they come to us, show me some previous work and then allow them to earn your business. And so we've been able to go through that. Not, not everything has been great. We have had challenges in the past with various contractors and trades, um, but you know, that's kind of part of the journey, but we've, we spent a lot of time now pre-vetting the people that we hire either on our team to lead it uh, in that particular country. And of course the people that are subcontracted underneath them to do, uh, to do the actual physical work. And um, it's not a perfect science, but it, it also isn't that much different than how you do it in your own backyard, just finding great people. And if you can't find a great person, don't just accept someone because they might bring five years of pain onto your life for longer. So I'd rather not start something and wait for the right person to come before you start something, hire someone that maybe isn't as reputable um, because it's cheap or it's easy or it's quick, because then you can end up in a situation where, you know, fortunately we never had a lawsuit for or against, like we've been in a good place that way, but I think it's because we've done a good job vetting, but almost all development projects end in some form of litigation. I think I test our, I guess, success on avoiding that as just having good relationships with these people. And if you can try to date for a while, like maybe you're starting something and building something in Mexico, Come do like a little renovation project or something small where the risk is low for both sides before you get them to build a six bedroom mansion on the beach. You know, so anytime we can like date someone in advance and see how they how they handle stress and how they work through things. It's not it's not possible to always do that, but we never whenever possible, we've done that and it's worked out and served us pretty well. That's like it, it's amazing to me. So I'm gonna go back. You have 16 original investors. Yep. Um are they entitled to use the property whenever they feel like, or do they have to pay to use their their own property? Great question. And because we're exiting this, it's actually a fun thing for you or anyone else. I'm, I'm a big believer, even though we're actually exiting this side of our business. So we're actually in the process of, we've got about 25 million left of real estate to sell. We sold 80, 80, whatever the number is so far. And we're getting into this rental space where we don't own the homes. We're just managers of those homes. But I really love the original model. I'm super passionate about it. So how it worked is exactly what you said. All the equities contributed from these partners, friends and family, and then maybe their friends and family, and it snowballs from there. We manage it, so they don't have to worry about anything, but they get uh, their prorated amount of costs for that. So part of the, the rules are if 
just like the three of us owned a home together, we'd all carry a third of the expenses. Someone's responsible for paying the bills and put it on a spreadsheet and divvying it up. That was effectively the model. So now the three of us though, now get to share it. Okay, so you take Jan, I'll take Feb, you take March and we rotate or whatever the model is. So in this kind of you know original model, which anyone can start, I think this is truly one of a, even though it's hard to scale for someone that wants to get in and maybe just have five homes and 25 partners and five different awesome places in the world to travel to, it's a freaking great model because the cost to own, assuming you don't have a big debt load, particularly if you can pay cash or you have no debt, um, is that the cost to own is cheaper substantially than the cost to rent comparable homes. So our owners would pay the equivalent of, you know, $300 Canadian a night, which is like $19 US dollars, basically, you know, to, for, per, per night. <laughs> it's not quite as bad these days. It's 73 cents or something. So for every $100, it's 70. Um, and so these, these places would rent for a thousand bucks a night plus. So if you yeah. park your capital, one of the benefits for the homeowners was that they have to pay their, their shares worked out to, let's say, 300 bucks a night. But then they didn't have to spend a thousand dollars a night after tax dollars to have that rental at some Verbo or Airbnb that you're not assured of the experience. So I love the model. Is I, I, anyone listening that wants to get in the real estate game, everyone's got, I think everyone's got someone like my situation back then 10 or 15 buddies that have a little bit of scratch together, 100 or 200 grand that want to participate in the equity in the deal. Ideally, in this cycle, there's going to be some stress in certain markets. You can hopefully buy low and then just ride the appreciation wave out of it. In the meantime, you you now have places to vacation. And we had a whole system on like how people use the homes because how much equity you put in dictated how much time you got at the properties. And it was like a point system, seasonal based. And so it took a while to kind of create a system that was fair and equitable because if you had everyone at Christmas and you had five people per home, obviously you couldn't accommodate that. So we do like a lottery for Christmas and and you give people an incentive to go to Hawaii in the summer when it's maybe not as attractive as, you know, going there in January. So, but all these systems worked and allowed the calendars to kind of blend out over the course of the year versus everyone fighting for the same, you know, four weeks in the, in the season. So that's kind of how it worked. And it's, uh, it's a, a super fun to talk about for me because it's been the passion for most of my adult life. And uh, even though we're not doing it anymore, I want others to do it because it's uh it's something I think that's a, an easy one to start is you really don't need a lot. You need, five, 10, 15 buddies to buy one, two or three properties. I like the five to one ratio, just just say that two neck. Five people per home works out pretty well because everyone can, there's usually most properties have five good months a year at minimum, November through March or December through April and, and like in you know beach destinations. Everyone gets like one month of great time and then you have another seven months to split up however people want to use it. You know, go in the spring, summer, fall, whatever it is. So I, I've seen guys go 10 to one but then I see it gets very competitive for those seasons and less works well as well. But obviously it's more equity up front for the individual. So I, I really like the five to one ratio. It's always been a pretty good number. Uh, and it, it, it's pretty common across the industry of other guys who've done this. Yeah. I have a, I have a very good friend of mine. His, so you, you say just find some friends with a little bit of scratch and okay. So David and I know people with scratch with like 20 bucks, right? Okay. So like, <laughs> I, I think we grew up in different, different, uh, <laughs> Circles. Yeah, I say di- very much different circles. But um, <laughs> I have a, I have a friend of mine who's like his grandfather, right? Is is very very wealthy, right? Um, we're, we're nearing nearing the hundred million dollar mark, right? Something very close. Exactly. Love it. Right, and, and he 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 grinded his whole life. But so they have they have a vacation home in Michigan here that originally started out as like all of the kids get to use it. 
and then all the kids had kids, right? So then it's like there's yeah. a bunch of kids. And so then, you know, it worked out where, because, so just, I don't know if our viewers know, but, okay, so there's 12 months in a year, which is things you will know. But in the rental season in Michigan, there's 14 weeks, right? So yeah. Memorial Day to Labor Day, there's 14 weeks. So you get two extra paychecks, in theory, if you're renting it on a consistent. Yeah. Um and so, right, like the, the six kids that had their kids. And so it was like, all right, every grandkid gets the uh, a week, right, along with the, the parents and stuff like that. And so they draw. Well, now it's gotten so dang big. And actually, like three years, my buddy got a play, got, got his spot. But then they were like, hey, nope. X that out. The, the kids now get the spot, right? So it's back to the six plus the, the grandparent. And uh, so seven. And now they're just doing two weeks, right? So 14 weeks, just like that. And if the parent wants to give up their time to whatever kid, like you guys find <laughs> it out. Otherwise, this is all it is. And so, um, you know, like you, you hit it on the head where it's like, hey, in Maui, right? Me, I'm like, oh, I'm leaving in the winter. And you're like, hey, I'll give you a discount in the summer because people don't want to leave their their beautifulness during this time, right? So, um, you know, you got to find the right person that wants to come at the right the right time um i you know i agree fully yeah sorry to interject you're totally right if you have like a summer property we had a lot of them in canada where like there's some of them had skied in the winter but some of them were just lake properties and it was really like you said memorial day to labor day it was so competitive we really started staying away at least in our model from the seasonal properties because everyone fought for the same eight ten twelve weeks and it just honestly created more frustration than actual value so we started leaving those and trying to focus on more year-round destinations like the desert, Latin America, Hawaii, Southern California, places where, okay, I got April. Well, April's pretty awesome in San Diego, so I'm actually not going to complain too much versus getting January. And uh, But the seasonal ones are hard, and, and usually how these, and, you know, just to share how these, many people have tried to start where we've started, and a few have succeeded, the majority have failed, because they don't start with getting the right alignment to people. When it gets too competitive, after a year or two, everyone's frustrated and they say, ah, screw it. And usually there's like a clause in your agreement that if enough people vote, they can trigger to sell the assets. And if someone gets the two homes, everyone's frustrated because they picked something that was very seasonal or too hard to get to, whatever it is. And I, I give like 20 examples of these guys because I've, I've tried to help mentor some of these guys through this over the past couple of decades. But that's all they know to start. So I don't blame them. That's all they could get the initial interest for. But you can almost see the writing in the wall. It's going to fail. Because seasonal is just hard. Everyone wants the same time. And as soon as you get frustration, dissension amongst the partners, um, they're going to want out, you know, and they're going to do their own thing. And so that's, that's the problem. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I want a vacation home. Um, I, I don't own any Airbnbs. I don't own any vacation homes for myself. I own nothing of this. And it's, I have to deal with one partner and that's my wife, right? And I love her pieces. But she's like, why would I want a vacation home if I can't use it Memorial Day, the 4th of July, and Labor Day? The times yeah. I want to go, if I can't use it, I don't want it. And I was like, that's when we're making the most money. We <laughs> could every other day of the week, but you want them just those specific. And I was like, you're taking all of my money that would pay for everything just in that little bit of time because that's when you want to bring your family to impress them. And I was like, I will impress them with a steak dinner. <laughs> you know. Uh, so um, so you know, Nick, you and I know really well, especially living in Michigan, we have those towns, South Haven, Saugatuck, um, Holland, they're Grand Haven. Grand Haven, right. They're really popular in June, July, August. 
mm-hmm. and not very popular in December, January, February. Which is when I go. Because <laughs> it's cold and nobody wants to be there. Nobody's going in the water at that time. Correct. Um, and I'll just say too, like there's one important point in that is like, I'll use my parents as an example. They own a um, rental property in Island of Kauai. But they it's their, they spend four months a year there, but they specifically miss U.S. Thanksgiving and Christmas, New Year's. And it's hard. They love to be there hanging with their friends during that time. We're all there having a good time. Not to say all of them, some rent as well. But they get so much money for those four weeks a year. Like there is a sacrifice when you're in a, a rental situation that you have the good with the bad. Like this one property in Costa Rica we had, it always like, it cost this place, it was, was baller, it was awesome. It cost about 140 grand a year just to operate. We could rent out Christmas at 6,000 a night. So let's just say you rent out two weeks in a row, that is like 80 grand plus. That pay for almost the entire year of operating costs at one shot. But our model is built on people wanting to go there for Christmas. So it didn't work in our model. But if you can have the discipline to not go in those peak seasons, you can make a profit on it and all the other vacations are free for you. So it's it's a give and take scenario. And most people don't want to give. This is the reality of it. But if you can, you can make a lot of freaking money. It's just what it is. Now, one philosophy I live by is uh, the saying, right? Um, do what others won't today so you can do what others can't tomorrow, right? Like, I, I'm willing to give up a couple summers of my life. Granted, my wife's not because, like, we have the kid and she thinks that she is. And I'm like, we can go anywhere in the world. She can see the world in the summer don't have to go to this one spot like we're gonna make so much money hand over fist during these three times mm-hmm. that we we can literally go to you know i was like do you know what, do you know what europe or you know any part of europe looks like in the winter good me neither let's go right <laughs> like exactly yeah totally um so now how are you finding properties in other countries so back in, yeah, so it's, it was fun. Back in the day, it was just me. So, and I had a team that, you know, my team was more like the concierge service, asset managers. And I say the team was, that's maybe an overstatement. It was like three people that helped us kick this thing off. And it's grown to be much bigger now. But um, early stage was just me. And so basically be me on a laptop at night. You know, you get through your work day. It's like, okay, people want to be in Mexico. Okay, where do we start in Mexico? Let's go West Coast. Okay, we've got... Puerto Vallarta, Punta Mira, Cabo San Lucas, Huatuco, Acapulco. Then you just start drilling down. You just, it was just honestly like thousands of hours of research on your own time to do it. And I just, and the people just, you know, and I, I find now we have a little more sophisticated approach, but we've been doing it for so long. We know what to look at out of the gate. So finding the right destination, doing your own homework, your own desk, we call it desktop due diligence, going down their vacation experience and seeing on the ground. Like, again, I kind of like that dating thing before you marry a destination. A lot of people, when they buy a home, it's very emotional, right? You're on vacation in Cabo, and they come home two weeks later with a timeshare. That's why Mexican timeshares are still a thing, if you can believe it. You know you know you're going to lose money, and you know you're getting sucked in, but this still happens all the time because people are emotionally connected. So I try to help people disconnect the emotion from the acquisition to say, oh, we had a great time. Timeshare salesman is giving you the free you know, steak dinner, time to the whole thing. Don't buy, leave, decompress, and then re-enter the market with like a clean, like a clean lens on it. And so we used to go down and buy things on the spot. You know, we did a lot of desktop, desktop diligence in advance. Now we'll go to markets multiple times, you know, out of our own pocket before we buy, just to make sure we don't make a mistake. 
And uh, so it takes quite a bit of uh, time now. And I would also say something we could potentially help you with in your research and any listeners, but we do, we kind of, we started, this, we haven't really flushed it out as a full scale part of the business, but an advisory arm, all the things we've learned over the years, the mistakes we've made, and generally it comes down to exactly what you said, picking the right destination, finding the right community in that destination, and then finding the right home within that community is a multiple step process. And for us, finding ethical, solid, kick-ass real estate agents in the market that aren't there just, I mean, that real estate, that business is eat what you kill, but they're not pressuring you to make a decision before you leave your holiday tomorrow at four o'clock is like, hey, here's your options. Take it back and think about it. Why don't you maybe come back down in a month for a week? We can retour these properties and check things back out. So we made a list of what we think are some of the top agents in the world, frankly, and, and not necessarily they're always the top producers, but just highly ethical, strong moral compass that we refer our clients to now. So they say, hey, Nick's coming down. He's looking at Cancun to buy a property. He doesn't want the hard sell, but he needs to understand the market. And then I can trust that, you know, Javier down there is going to give you the rundown properly and not make sure that you're going to feel pressured to buy something like, oh, if you don't buy it now, Nick, before you leave to the floor, there are six other offers coming in. It was kind of a thing in the first year of COVID. It's not a thing anymore. Like some markets are a little more hot than others, but for the most part, another unit will pop up at some point. So we just try to help people make informed decisions that, that feel less rushed. You never make a million dollar decision in your stock portfolio in a week. You know, you'd think about it and strategize with an expert, but on vacation homes, everyone's an expert. So everyone, you know, comes back and doesn't make informed decisions. So I just tell people to slow down, especially in these cycles like this, when the market's a little slower, wait for the right opportunity. And in our case, where we can help is connect someone with the right agent, because we just had this great list and we made enough mistakes with high pressure sales tactics that we now are smart about it. And so you find the right person on the ground that's your true representative that will like potentially make you a lot of money and more importantly, protect you from a big mistake. Yeah. And, and I really think that's the best way to grow a business is finding people that are like that, right? Mm -hmm. People, you know, hold themselves very high, right? They're, they're not ripping people off. They're not doing that. And, you know, I, I own so much less real estate than most people that are wealthy, right? And they, they oh, why don't you grow so much? And I was like, because I only deal with people that hold themselves to a higher standard. I only go for the home run. I only go for this specific thing. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't, you know, I, I just dealt with a guy today who, you know, he posted something and he goes, yeah. It's a hundred thousand bucks, and I was like, "All right, how much?" I was like, "What's the ARV?" He said, "One sixty. I said, "How much does it need in work?" He goes, "Oh, I don't know." I said, "Well, why don't you figure out a rough cost of what you think this would be, and then we'll talk." Oh, I'd love to help you find your next house. <laughs> you don't know numbers. Go learn numbers, and then you can come help me, okay? But like, don't just sit here and go, "This is a great deal." If you don't know why it's a great deal, how the hell do you think I'm going to think it's a good deal? Like. Yeah. Go learn, go educate yourself, go here. I'm giving you everything I'm looking for. If you want to work for me with me, then, then you, you have a buyer for the rest of your life. If not, that's on you. Like you could take the easy way in life or you can educate yourself to a little bit better something else. Right. Um, so one thing again, back in the beginning, you had mentioned, all right. So I have, a million questions still. Sorry. That sounds great. Fire away, man. Was you 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 said, hey, when I go to uh, Italy or I go to Mexico or I go to um, 
Arizona, you're going to get roughly the same bed, the same sheets, the same, you know, corkscrew there type of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you how do you make that type of a thing happen? Because different products are made in different areas. So how, how do you do that? Yeah, so it's it's a great it's you know kind of the fun part of our business right now. When we made the decision late 2022 to exit the main business, it's pretty hard. Like I mean, it's been my 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 business baby for you know 17 years to basically say we're going to literally intentionally burn the boats and bring the revenue down to zero to start with a clean slate, which I don't advise everyone to do, but we have the confidence in this new vision that um, it was the right thing to do to clear any distractions on the old model to, to make room for the new model, which we believe could serve people better in a much wider group globally. Then we spent, so that was middle to end of 2022 for two years. So now we're, yeah, we're February already. It's hard to believe 2024. We're still fine tuning what we call the brand standard package. And that's basically the linen suppliers, wine glass suppliers, electronic suppliers, people that can serve us on a global basis. So we had a property in Italy, for lack of a better term, we push a button and two pallets of stuff shows up there six weeks later. And we send a team there to unpack all those things. And it's the same global linen supplier, the same pillows, the same towels, the same bath and body soaps. And it took us, it's taken us a year plus to actually put that together. It's it's reason why almost no one in the world's doing it. There's some like local regional guys that do a good job within like a specific market, but no one globally is doing it at all or well. So we're trying to be the one that kind of like cracks the nut on this, where you can provide. Think of like Four Seasons meets vacation Airbnb. It's so not Airbnb. It's just a distribution platform. We're not Four Seasons or Marriott. It's purely like a hotel basis. We are trying to blend the two together with this, you know, this high-end standard. And it's not all about ultra luxury. Like we got homes that are going to be 600, 800 grand. And we have homes that are going to work worth six or $8 million and everything in between. But the confidence you have is that no matter where you go, you're going to get the same sleep, you know, and you're going to have everything you need to kick out, you know, cook a kick-ass meal, you know, a barbecue that works and a you know, pool that heats and like all these aspects that people are, are certain in their experience. I can tell you, dude, it's not easy, man. It's like, to get first off suppliers that can go global, it's hard. To get to negotiate the rates that you need to make it economical is hard. To get to sell divisions hard, you just have to believe it. And fortunately, we had, you know, good resources, enough experience. We've been doing it under a certain version for so long. We we're able to get the credibility with these suppliers. Um, but it's kind of hard for a person to do it. Now, locally, if someone wants to do that in like, let's say Lake Country, Michigan, or wherever it may be. You can just find a great local supplier that can take care of your region and make sure you get the same linens from that person. But it'd be hard to expand to, you know, Bahamas next month by, by doing that. So we've been through that. So it's uh, not an easy approach, probably why we're going to be a one of a kind doing it. But we do think that it's going to create a high degree of loyalty for the clients. It's going to be worth the roughly two years of energy and money and time we put into it without creating one dollar of revenue before we launch to kick off with the right program out of the gate. So um, so yeah, hopefully that answers the question. Again, it's uh, I, I want I, I thought it'd be easy. I mean, like everything, like an entrepreneur, like oh, how hard can it be? It's freaking hard, you know. And it just it just takes a long time to figure it out. So just because, it, normally we don't do this, but uh, you made me get up to get uh, two basement beers just because I'm in my oh. basement. Um, <laughs> I, I I have a cellar in my basement. Um, for those that don't know, um, my my basement cellar it's dwindling down but it's it's probably still i don't know ten thousand dollars worth of beer love it very nice very like like what's behind you right your your humidor i have just beer 
So um, I expect nothing less. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I want you to plug the website because you're launching it this this month. Um, yep. What website could people find you at? So, yeah, thank you for that. LuxusVP.com. So think Luxus Vacation Properties. And Luxus is, uh, I think, the, the car company, but it wasn't intentionally a knockoff. Luxus is the Latin word for luxury. So it's L-U-X-U-S-V-P as in vacationproperties.com. And it, the website's live now, but bookings will start in about four weeks from now in our first kind of tranche of roughly 20 properties, and it will grow quite rapidly from there. And, yeah, man, I'd appreciate it very much. If you guys, anyone you know, is looking for a vacation, go to LuxusVP.com first and check it out to see if we have a property in the area you're looking at. Again, we'll be pretty small to start, but we'll still have probably 15 destinations. It'll grow to 50 destinations and we'll have some really, really good coverage. But um, check that out. If you're a homeowner as well, maybe you bought you know, someplace in Playa del Carmen, Mexico, and you want to rent it out. We also obviously, we represent homeowners. So that's how we get inventory to our portfolio. So if you own a home and you're you want to rent it out or you're unsatisfied with whoever's running your home, luxofuv.com as well will get you to uh, us and have a chance to earn someone's business. So here, here's going to be my my fun question for me being, uh, because because I can be greedy because I host the podcast. All right. <laughs> Go for it. So I have a place in uh, Puerto Vallarta um, and I want you to rent it out. What do you What do you make me do and what are your standards that you hold me to? Yeah, perfect. So what we do is first off, we, you know, check to make sure that the home and the community meet the initial standard that fits the right thing. Let's just assume it does. You're in a somewhere close proximity to the beach or downtown or whatever it might be is a good fit and all those boxes check. It's at a minimum size, you know, two or three bedrooms kind of has a good fit. We'd send someone there to do an audit and we have this 20 page checklist basically. And it's everything from how many forks are in the drawer? Do you have a wine opener? Do you have a bottle opener? Do you have turkey based or like what are all the things you have in your house that we don't need to replace some people start from scratch they buy a house that's brand new and there's nothing in it and we can help them everything from furnitures fixture equipment the whole works most people have like a starting basis and we just go through this list spend a few hours and we just say okay you've got enough wine glasses enough forks knives you know but you have a kind of crappy serrated knife set we're going to bring our hinkle knives in or whatever it is because everyone likes a good knife set to cut steaks or whatever it might be then we prepare a budget for you and we'd say, hey, this budget for the brand standard is going to be $15,000. And uh, your upfront costs. Now, some certain situations, we can help the homeowner like subsidize it or, or extend the payment over an extended period of time. They'll pay for it over time. So that'd be kind of step one. That's like, guy says, yes, I'm good. 15 grand, I'll buy the package. We just push a button. Those all the things, the missing elements show up in your house. We send a team down to set it up, dial it in. And it's it's pretty dialed. Like every everything's labeled and exactly where like the salad mixer goes so that it's easy from a property management perspective, easy from a guest experience perspective. We label every light switch, you know, all the aspects to make sure we have a whole you know binder in there, how to use the television, whatever it might be. So, and then once it's in the program, we distribute it. This is the kind of interesting part. A lot of people don't know, but it will go through luxusvp.com. And we have our own group of like a loyal group within there. And actually it's the loyalty program. So similar to like Marriott Bonvoy or whatever it may be. You know, that would first, those properties would go to that group first because they're our loyal members and they get a chance to first access. But any excess inventory, we actually run it through what we call the OTAs or online travel agencies, which is like Airbnb and Verbo. So we don't limit ourselves just to people that stumble across our own website. We use those extra platforms to help bring a much far global reach in. And then when they stay at the property, hopefully they stay your host in Puerto Vallarta. And we're like, 
this place was awesome. That was the best sleep I ever had. And freaking the kitchen was dialed and my kids had a playpen to sleep in and it was awesome. They go to luxusvp.com. So we'll have it, of course, all over the house, you know, to make sure they can't miss what property they're staying in. They come to us. They're like, oh, they actually have a place in, in Cabo as well. Let's go to Cabo next year. And I'll just book through luxusvp.com. So, and we charge a fee anywhere from, it's a pretty big range, 20 to 35%, depending upon the complexity of the property. Um, is it hard to manage, easy to manage, whatever the revenues could be, prepare a performa for the individual. We try to make it like really dialed in. So it's almost like a, I would say the institutional approach, but a pretty like, you know, specific approach that we can give people pretty accurate numbers out of the gate. And then they don't worry about anything. Every, the first of the month, a check shows up in their bank account or report on all their revenues, less their expenses and cleaning, whatever it may be. And they just tell us when they, or they go into your own portfolio or your own um, uh, portal and you book your own personal time as much as you want to go to your own home. And the rest of it, you leave to us and we take care of it for you. And you want beers in the fridge when you get there, you want book a snorkel trip, you want to go bowling, go golfing, doesn't matter. Well, our team, both head office and on the ground, where it boots on all the ground, they'll help plan anything you want. So you really get a, like a pretty special customized experience. So when you ideally, when you leave that vacation rental, you're like, yes, that checked all the boxes for me. How do I do more of these? And that's hopefully they come back to us and we've earned their business. Listen, that's amazing that like you'll have, cause you know, like when you, I've never stayed in Airbnb cause I'm, I'm cheap. I'm like the cheapest person you've met. <laughs> uh, like right like i i've helped a million of my friends because they'll build a binder and it was like hey local things here's a bowling alley here's an arcade here's this and it's like things that you can do but you have a person that will just book this for you and like mm-hmm. from from like the eh, okay to like now we're we're booking this right we're booking your tea time for golf we're booking specific mm-hmm. things yeah and like gosh you guys you are successful and you'll be so much more successful because of what you're offering people. Thank you. Thank you. God, that is amazing. Um, yeah. Now I feel dumbass because I'm not sitting here doing this and it's like, Oh, <laughs> this, this is a possibility. So I just gave you the playbook, man. More people in the industry, the better. It's a big sandbox and there's lots of um, very disjointed, fragmented industry. And I think there's a lot of money to be made as it kind of rolls up and guys that build these businesses are going to be bought up by bigger companies. And it's, uh, there's the whole playbook. I mean, it's, uh, I, I, the more people that do it, the better for us. It's, it's, I think it brings a lot of credibility to the industry, which unfortunately lacks credibility because you hear about like going to an Airbnb and someone's got a freaking camera in the master bedroom videotaping you while you sleep or other, or you, you know, you hear about these stories of people leaving, you know, whatever bad food in the fridge or don't flush the toilet, whatever it might be. Like it's, it's, we're trying to add credibility to something that's now unfortunately lacks credibility. And that will be, that's kind of our mission and purpose in this whole thing. And we're going to, we're going to figure it out one way or the other. So David, before I ask another million questions, do you have a question? (laughs) I mean, I have a comment. So, I mean, you and I both have watched all of the Airbnb horror stories on TikTok. (laughs) And, you know, having something that is more regulated, I guess. I, I guess regulated is the yeah, word I want to yeah, use. Yeah, yeah, that's the way to do it. Is, is better for me. Like, I, I'm scared of the unknown. I like to go to the same places and do the same stuff because it's it's what I've done and it's what I'm used to. Nick and I used to argue because he he's like, you got to go to Mexico. And I'm like, yeah, I'm great with Hawaii. Hawaii is 
it's in this country and I know what I'm getting into. And I've been there six times and that's what I like. And he's like, yeah, but Mexico is so much cheaper. I am you, you can go to Mexico four times for the price. It would take you true. to Hawaii it's once. True. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but again, I, I need to, I need to do things that I know are safe and predictable because I'm safe and predictable. Whereas well, Nick I- doesn't worry about any of that shit. No, <laughs> it's weird. Cause you're, you're, Granted, you're only like what five eight, and you're a big guy. Yeah, like I'm, I'm six one and a big guy. But like I know when I leave, I'm either a feared or b a target. Right, that's all it is. <laughs> there, there's no middle ground for me. Right, like you're either, you know, and it's funny because I grew up. My, all my brothers are five seven. Right, and so one of them has little man syndrome. Right, so he's gonna find the biggest baddest son of a bitch out there. And he's going to be like, oh, I'm beating his ass, right? And I'm like, stop, just stop. We just want to drink. We want to be left alone, right? But, like, <laughs> you know, if I go to Mexico, I I, I do have a, a, a designer wallet. And every time I leave the country, I always change my wallet. Again, it's you the- and I you and I are the same person. We went on a cruise together. We're in Haiti. Yep. And you're pissed at your wife and your daughter because they're doing whatever they do. Yeah. And your daughter at eight will not pay attention listen. to what the hell is going on. Correct. And I had to pull her ass aside and say, listen, people out here are not necessarily your friends. You need <laughs> to let us pay attention to you because if we're not paying attention to you and somebody grabs you, I mean, you know, sh- little blonde haired girl. So y- you and I are both paranoid, which yep. is fine. But we're always on guard. 100%. Um, so how do you vet your areas? So speaking of that, Steve, how do you vet your areas? Um, because the U.S. just labeled the Bahamas as a, a next tier of well, – David, um, help me out with this. Like A next tier of like do not go list or whatever, like a fright area. They, yeah, mind you, I'm looking at property in the Bahamas, but yes, they did. You know, they've had 17, 17 murders or whatever, or something like that in like the past 12 months. And so it's like, uh, you know, it's what I would say, a do not fly list. How, how do you vet your areas? Yeah. You know what? I mean, like you said, predictability is like, you know, kind of the cornerstone of the whole thing. You know what you're going to get. And what, what works out well for us over the years, especially all of our people from Western Canada, they loved the desert, like Arizona and Palm Springs. They loved Hawaii. They loved Whistler, you know, like places that are very predictable and safe. As soon as we started expanding to places like Mexico, Costa Rica, Caribbean, it, it created fear. Like, you know, it's like, wow, geez, I'm never going to go there. But we helped kind of knock down the barriers of that fear for people because we only select people properties in certain areas and to your point nick it's about being places that are safe first they have to be safe and secure so you look at the country what's its track record everyone in latin america can be afraid of every country in latin america like there's just no question there's there's bad shit that goes on in any country there's no shortage there so you just but but it's generally if you're going looking for it or you happen to be located in a bad spot so we turn down homes regularly that are not in the gated community, don't have the you know, appropriate you know, security, you know, close by areas that are popular tourist areas, even though the home may be great, but if it's off the beaten path and it's easy for someone to break into and steal your stuff or whatever it could be, and you feel unsafe, no one's gonna go. So why are we gonna put in our portfolio? It doesn't mean it might not be a good property and probably 99 times out of 100 is gonna be safe. I want 
99,999 times to be perfectly safe. And that one random crazy experience, to, you know, that we had in Italy happen where someone took someone's wallet, like came in the house, took their wallet. That's out of 20,000 vacations in our portfolio, we had one experience. So I, I like those odds, but it's because we vetted areas that have local security, gated, and it's not all about luxury, but it's about security. So that's a really important part. In America, it's different, you know, um, because obviously generally safe country, but again, you're in the wrong spot, you know, you can find trouble. So we just try to keep people away from it by having homes in places that have less trouble and uh, in communities that can guard against that trouble. It just, it makes it way more predictable when people go. And like for David's point, if he's, I love Hawaii, it's amazing. It's like, it's this phenomenal spot. It's just easy the same currency and everything else, but Nick's right. You know, you can go four times in Mexico, then you go one time to Hawaii. So people like the value with it, but they hopefully will trust our brand. We've done all the pre-work and only picked homes. When you choose one of the 40 homes we have in Mexico, you're like, I know that Luxus has done their job and making sure it's safe and secure for my family. It's clean and sanitable and all the, all the things that you generally label a country like Mexico with, which is a very fair label that they've earned. Um, but it doesn't mean it's all bad. So we got to find the good spots within those areas because that's a, a type of client that I, I love by Costa Rica, for example. My favorite country to vacation is Costa Rica. People are amazing, but it's not all safe. Like you can't be in San Jose South part is closer to that, like heavy traffic and crime. So we're in the Northwest part of Costa Rica where it's away from all of that. And it makes it a much safer, you don't fly into San Jose, you fly into Liberia. So all these things come into play about what airport you got to use. You know, generally Costa Rica, we don't let people pick up cars at the airport. We have a private driver take them to the house and we have the car delivered to their house the next day. So they don't got to worry about navigating roads at 10 o'clock at night that's unfamiliar to them. So all these things we just try to like resolve in advance. Um, for our clients. So it's something they, just have, they have less stress when they worry about going there. And it's easier then to convince maybe a reluctant spouse or friends to come with you. They're like, ah, I just have, I saw someone died there, a tourist last year. It's like, yeah, but with Luxus, that's not the places they pick. You know, I mean, again, bad shit can happen even the best places, but, you know, generally we're able to put people in, in very safe environments that they, when they get there, like, oh, I do feel comfortable and I can properly unwind. And my, my, I feel comfortable my kids here. You know, we certainly wouldn't be in Haiti um, but you know, Dominican's a great spot, you know, on the other side, Punta Cana, it's pretty far away from, from, uh, some of the trouble of, uh, that island nations and, and, um, it's an awesome spot to vacation. So we'll have properties there. Yeah. It's, it's funny you say that I, I, uh, got threatened to be robbed in, in, uh, Punta Cana, Dominican Republic. Um, <laughs> Did you? <laughs> yeah, it yep. was, it was, uh, you know, it wasn't a big threat. It, there was no weapons of any sort, right? It was just. Hey, give me your money. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to walk a little faster. All right. Like, <laughs> there was policia, uh, you know, for, for us, it's, it's, you know, 40 yards away from me. Like, they could see down. Right. If I yelled, they would have been there within seconds. So, um, yeah. I was, I was by myself, shouldn't have been, uh, you know, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And that was a, my, and it was my choice to do that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. You know, you say, hey, safe, and, and you, you're you not going to put yourself. My wife, so we're in, we're in Mexico, and I don't know anything about it except for there's an altercation that happens um, at, a, at a beach sidebar. Guy, guy says something in Spanish. The guy behind the bar grabs a machete starts chasing the guy through the downtown, which is like the safest area in the world, right? It just happened to be that I happened to be there. 
Yeah. And I, I love my wife to pieces, but she is so infatuated by watching somebody get stabbed. She's running towards this, and I'm like, let's go. And I'm dragging her ass completely around it, going, no, this is like we're in a different country. They will actually stab somebody on the street or or slice somebody. We're like, and, and my but my wife would be like, nope, I gotta watch this. I want to see something happen. And I was like, <laughs> this isn't the movies, babe. You can't get away from this, you know? Yeah, and, go the other way. Right. Like, I love my wife to pieces, but she is she is not the same as me. <laughs> so Nick, um, we know places in Detroit or Grand Rapids or Chicago that also you will not yeah. chase the guy with the machete. Like, and that's the problem is my wife would. She'd be like, oh, I want to go. Do I have to go help that guy that just got stabbed? That's my wife. <laughs> she wants to just go help that person. I'm like, you know what? If he dies, it's on him. He shouldn't have been there, apparently. No, I'm just kidding. But like, you know, it, it's, it's, we can only save ourselves at this point. Um, you talked about like relaxing and things. And I think that besides my job and things like that, David and I went on a cruise together and, it was also like I had my daughter, right? And I'm watching my daughter like a hawk. Yes, I'm drinking. And is if my eye can see my kid, I'm fine with this. Anything else, no, I'm I'm not doing this, right? Like and, and David's like, well, well, and I was like, look, this is I, I, I have six friends on this cruise with me, right? Or five friends, my wife and four, and I'm like, I, I get it, but like my priority is this kid. Every aspect of this is the kid, like. And then now that I've been home since a cruise, I've seen so many videos of like things with kids. And I'm like, I can't tell you I'm taking another cruise just because of the stupid videos I've seen, but like, I'll do another one. And yeah, I, you I and I are the same though. We, we watch the females we're with every time we're anywhere. Every yeah. second of our life. It doesn't matter if we're in downtown Grand Rapids or walking through Haiti. Yep. And and, and that's it. Like we're in downtown Grand Rapids and we're watching our own family. Right. We're just like, Hey, and you know, I say, I told you, I got up and got two extra beers tonight because I don't have, sure. She's upstairs. I can hear footprints, but if I hear two sets of feet print, like you guys are on your own at this moment, right? Like hey, I take care of things. Right. Like, <laughs> Hey, see you guys like if you're here, mind your own business. Um, but so how did you decide to grow and develop into other countries? You know what it's uh, so first off to me is the answer. I mean, as men, you're protectors. I mean, that's why we all have that, you know, millions of years of evolution that you can't take your eye off people you love. And uh, so like I 100% hear you. And I, it's, it's part of a big reason why people stay with what they're familiar with, because they're, you know, they want to break from their job and their regular life. Why do I want to go to a place I have to like, constantly be on call for it it doesn't mean you're ever it's ever going to leave you but if it can be relaxed to a certain extent it just allows you to actually properly recover because you're constantly on the, the lookout for for fear for danger you know whatever it might be especially when you have your loved ones around so i'm with you on that 100 percent. it was a big part of again having my family you know i want i want them to be in a safe place i want to be in a place and i'm going to different countries to your point nick is i want to see different parts of the world but how do i do it in a safe manner so as I mentioned, you know, you just you, you you pick a place that seems interesting to travel to. You just that's how you start with. And you now, obviously, Caribbean's great, and East West of Mexico's great, and you know, Costa Rica, Panama have their own cool experiences. So you just you end up you know finding where the hot spots are growing, especially if you get into more of a an up and coming area. Let's say Costa Rica was 
15 years ago when we first bought. It's now a little more mainstream, but we were kind of early adopters at that time. Now everyone's going there, but um, you know, it's like, okay, where's, where's the best place we could go that kind of checks all those boxes. Then, then how do we buy there? How does the ownership work? I guess hundreds, if not thousands of hours of diligence to actually understand all those pieces. Bro brokers will break it down and make it simpler for you. Good ones to do it right. And, you know, there's tax advice and all, how do you own it? And all these, you know, holding company or personal. So there's all these different, different steps. We've spent, I don't know, an untold amount of money, you know, millions of dollars, you know, in diligence over the course of our 17 years, but we, you can distill it now down. I know exactly how to buy Costa Rica, which is different than Dominican, which is different than Mexico, is different than US, different than Canada. So you just try to break it down for people, help them solve it. So it take, once you take the fear out of it, you can be open to receiving like the cool factors of that country, what it can offer you. Is it more, is it cheaper to be in? Can you get more you know, bang for your buck? Is it have better beaches, better golf, better bowling, whatever it may be. But if you can't break down to that fear barrier because the fear of the unknown, sometimes enough for people not to take that first step. So we've done that work on it already. And that's, we just try to, I don't encourage people to like go to places they feel unsafe. We want people to feel very safe where it is. If we can help knock down the first two or three barriers to be a little more open, to be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna give Costa Rica a try. It looks pretty cool now. Um, now that I'm, I understand it, at least to a certain extent, then I think that's a great, uh, it's a great way to do it. And we've, we've done it by one at a time. Now we're doing it 10 at a time or 20 at a time. So we've got a lot more experience that we know how to kind of replicate it at scale, but it all starts with just learning the game. And uh, then you just, you build it from there. Yeah. I, and I think that's like, you're, you're doing amazing work. I, Thank and you. I hope you that like from the bottom of my heart, you really are. Appreciate it. Um, say, I, want a lot. Go, I want to go back a little bit to your sourcing stuff. And I forgot to mention it when you, when you talked about it, like, Hey, I source, you know, from here and source from here. I used to import from China and David used to half make fun of me. Cause I, I didn't put like, he, he knew it in the beginning and then he didn't realize how big I'd gotten. Um, but so like I've made relationships with people from China. Right. And, um, it was funny cause at the time I was working from 1 a.m. till, or sorry, 3, 3 a.m. in Eastern Standard Time till, you know, uh, you know, it's like one o'clock. But so I'm staying up really late doing a bunch of, th I'm, I'm striving for my business. And so I'm talking to these people from China, which is 12 hours difference or, or more. And I was like, hey, what works for you? And, and you know, for the, for the longest time, I'm like, no, th these hours are fine. And I was like, look, I'm exhausted. I don't want to work from nine to five America. Right. Like, are you willing to, and they're like, wait, I can sleep my normal, like nine to five. And, or, you know, like I can work my normal nine to five and sleep the rest of it. And I was like, yes, please do. And so, and I was like, look, and so I built this huge relationship with, with manufacturers and mm -hmm. would say, if you could do this, we could talk on my, my, off time right because like i had anywhere after five to work and before i was like this is when i work like i i work on my off times and they're like oh that'd be great for me and i was like i was like look i will give you a one month notice that i am done using your company and so you can get back on your sleep schedule you can do everything and if you build relationships with the supplier themselves god you're gonna go so much farther so that's my advice to you Mm -hmm. it's not it, it is free advice because you're here but like it, it's going to take you steve to figure out to reach out to the actual supplier and say hey tell me what your time frame is and i will meet you because once you give them a little bit they're going to give you everything 
you know, a stupid example is I'm looking at my glow sticks right now, right? And let's just say, you know, the, the dollar store, you know what a dollar store is because you're at, but like a dollar store will sell an eight pack for a dollar a piece. They're manufacturing them for 50 cents a piece, right? I would then go, hey, I'm buying glow sticks and I, I buy them for Halloween. And I buy 4,000 every year and I just give out a shit ton of glow sticks to everybody in the neighbor. We go camping every summer and I bring them to every camping event and I just give them to every kid in the park all the time. And so I got glow sticks down to 12 cents a piece, right? So I'm wow. buying them, right? Like, because I'm just building this stupid relationship with people and I'm like, hey, you know, and, and granted, I was buying way, way, way more, sending kids out to go sell them on the 4th of July, sending people out to go sell them at other times. Like, I was, and I would just hoard them just because I knew I could sell them different times of the year, right? Yeah. We have parade in America, we do parades for everything, right? Like, oh, hey, it's Tuesday. <laughs> Nick, you just muted yourself. Sorry, you didn't lose me. Um, every time I get a phone call, it mutes my Zoom. But right, so like I was getting them for for ten cents on the dollar, like, and they're just like Nick, you're 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 a great person, like you're this, and and they're probably building a glow stick for three cents. They're still making a crap ton of money off of me. I'm just promising them things. So if you go in and say, hey, we're gonna build ten houses this year, I'll buy, you know, fifty four, you know, fifty forks per. You're, you're buying 10 forks per place type of a thing because you have six bedrooms, which means you have 12 people. So you're buying, you know, you're buying a certain amount. Like if you just go yeah. in and say, hey, I'll buy, I'll buy silverware sets. I'll buy this the entire year. And I'm going to let you wake up whenever you want. That person guarantees they have the sale. They don't have to worry about it. You're going to be successful. And most people don't understand that if you just let the world do the things that they're normal to you, versus forcing them to be there the times that their company tells them that they have to be, they're gonna get they're gonna get so much more rewarded and you're gonna have such an easier lifestyle. So um I I love I love doing that with people because I just show them, hey, I'm a normal human being and I work when you don't and you work when I don't. So let's try to make it so that way we can both work at the same time. Oh, okay, perfect, right? Like and and now they're on a normal schedule. Uh, so. No, it's it great advice. And you're right. We we primarily working through middlemen right now on a lot of the stuff. And we know that's kind of a natural part of the evolution. But as we get to certain volumes, like getting the importing game and going direct to suppliers, great advice. So well, well received and definitely something that uh, is part of the strategy, but don't necessarily know how to do it. So when the time comes, I might be hitting you up for some advice. So I grew, I, <laughs> things people don't know about me. Um, I once shipped an entire shipping container that was all sponsored by me. So I paid <laughs> for thing. So if you ever need any advice about that, we could talk off air. We haven't talked about it on air yet on Bucks and Brews, but if you if really if you want to know what it's like to ship an entire container because you're gonna hold it yeah. for a time, reach out to me because I will give you some videos. I will give you my personal experiences with it. So appreciate uh, that a lot. It means a lot. I'll definitely hit you up on that. I uh is say you, now now you got me drinking so you're gonna get all the best knowledge of my life. Yeah, this is good. I'm gonna extract now exactly. <laughs> so, great. And then when you're when when you guys are 
okay, what what is taking you from doing what you were doing and changing your entire business? Because it sounds like you're changing everything from what you started out to. To to all right, here's what I'm understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong. You guys are now developing, either you're you're either renovating or developing brand new properties and making them all new all new stuff. Like what what changed your whole mindset of this business? Well, it's actually maybe I wasn't clear in that part. There's actually two sides of the business, and one is the ground up development, which runs completely independent and separate of the vacation rental side. So that one was kind of a spin-off to say that could, could we build product that would be good for short-term rentals, which kind of like overlaps and fits in with the vacation rental side, but it's actually kind of spun off now that it just, it does its own ground up development projects. It's got its own business plan, its own team, its own office. There's like literally 1% overlap, which is me. And then uh, the, the other entire team, which is the Canadian team is all built on the vacation rental side. So think of it as like two Two different businesses that's completely standalone on their own two feet, servicing two, you know, slightly overlapping demographic of client. You know, well, well, you know, generally an affluent traveler and wants to, you know, go to cool places and either own or rent. But they are two different businesses, so it's a, uh, it's, it's a great question. Sometimes they can get conflicted to think, oh, are we building our own stuff? It's actually, yes, but through a separate, totally separate program over here. And the vacation rental side is totally sitting over here under its own business plan, its own team, and everything else. Okay. All right. So now with now, just to be more clear, um, your development side, are you, are you building, developing and selling or are you developing and having a structure still run under, under whatever you're building it fully, building it for, if that makes any sense? No, it totally makes total sense. It's a, it's a great question. And it's because uh, a lot of people do build to rent and not just build to sell and we're a build to sell um type business so we identified the land to acquire it with partners develop it ourselves by hiring the appropriate contractors and architects engineers and then we ultimately sell it out so they kind of all these projects on the development side kind of have a beginning middle and end um unlike you know the rental thing i'm going to build i don't know a multifamily thing i really don't want to sell it i want to rent it you know get as much you know and clip coupons the rest of my life off that asset and pay off the mortgage and eventually it's it's a free or refi it to redeploy that capital, but no, it's a great point. And that particular side of the business is development is, is tricky because developing itself is hard enough, but trying to time the market on when to sell, you really need the right product at the right time to, you know, to make the, you know, the bulk of your money in your last, whatever, 30, 40% of your sales. So that side of the business is all about selling. I would like to one day buy, you know, do the land develop and hold, or maybe hold half the inventory or all our big portion of the inventory, because we just haven't, our current projects just haven't fit for that particular theme, but it's a, it's a very good way to do it. And so I'm not for or against it. It just happens to be the projects we're working on are all built around selling, fully exiting. All the money comes off the table and we redeploy and go to another kind of ground up project. So yeah, good, really good question. I, 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 and I say the latter is something I want to do. Like it's find the right project. I can develop a community and then rent it out under like the Luxus brand. That would be part of like the long-term, you know, vision and dream to have some of that. And then you can just, it just cash flows every single year and pays off the debt and pays you. And eventually it's your retirement in 10, 15 years down, down the road. Yeah. Like selling real estate, I would say, even though it's what we do, generally is the best thing. It's, it's usually best to keep it. Exactly. Yeah. So it just happens to be the development game. This particular thing is about exiting and selling because you can make quite a bit of money on that particular vision and project, but keeping real estate that cash flows consistently is a great thing to do. Sure. 
So I don't know what your partnership is, but I would figure like, do you know your percentage if you care to share it of a development side of things? Yeah, we're anywhere from generally five to 50%, depends on the size of the project. Like the bigger it is, so the smaller percentage we are, we have a lot more outside capital and the smaller project is generally, well, sometimes we've been 100% owner. So I guess we're anywhere from five to 100% if it's a very small, you know, community, less than half a dozen homes or something like that. So it's, uh, but the bigger it goes, we don't have the bankroll yet. Certainly over time, we'd like to be able to accumulate it, but uh, it takes a long time to accumulate, you know, cash and real estate. So we bring in a lot of partners uh, or, or big chunks of capital through partnerships rather to help fund the projects. These gurus tell me that I can make money yesterday and they tell me that uh, I should be retired. It's, it's yes, that's what, all, that's what Instagram tells you. I, I, I don't know how they've done it, except they haven't and they're telling you you can, but it's, uh, it's, it's not how it works in the real world, as you know. <laughs> so, you know, um, at 5%, I guess, I don't know how many developments you've done, but like, to me and how I run my business a little bit is, so I don't own in Grand Rapids. We talked about that. We're from Grand Rapids area, yep. but I own, I now own one property just because I like to be very upfront with everybody. I, I own one property in Grand Rapids, right? I had people wow. call my bluff. Um, you know, I, I said, Hey, I, I would rent it for this amount of money, which was a stupid fucking amount of money. <laughs> like, and, and it cash flows like crazy. Right. Um, and they said, okay, we'll take it. And I was like, hold shit balls. Um, but, you know, so to me, it's like, hey, if you're making 5%, right? So that means to me, every 20 deals you do, you should be able to cash flow and hold one of the 20, right? Because now you've, you've made that because five times that, like you're, you're making 20. And so you're, you're, you've cash flowed an entire property. So now you're going to start doing that and you're going to hold one of the 20 because you don't need partners for that. You've bought them out. You've done everything you need. Um, if you're making 50% good for you, but, um, you know, I, I look at it and say, Hey, let's, let's grow and develop in the areas that I need to, um, or want to, because I, I, as you know, like, God, I love the things you said in the beginning of this podcast, right? Like, most investors have no idea how long this game actually is. This is a long-term play yeah, yeah. in life. Like, I, my wife wants to retire yesterday. Or she doesn't. She <laughs> wants to work. Right? I retired finally. But like, you know, this really is like get rich, get get rich slow. The difference get rich is slow is the way to put it. Exactly. <laughs> the, the difference is we're getting rich, right? An employee will never get rich. They will just retire, but we will get rich, right? Like, and, and people don't get that. That's the goal. A lot yep. of stress to, to not get rich. The funny thing is, as you know, it's like you never, probably what makes this whole freaking game fun is there's no guarantees with it, but I, it's better than the alternative for me where I know that if I were an employee, I'll never get rich. And what's less about, you know, the money's, you know, a factor of the equation of lifestyle and freedom and, and uh, the joy of the, of the, the stress and chase of the game and everything else. But certainly you wanted to make money at the end. And it's um, because that's why you put yourself through hundred hour work weeks and financial stress and making payroll and risk of personal guarantees and all of the, the layers of complexities that the 
um, average person just will be finding it very difficult to bear. And I don't, I don't blame people. It, it's a lot of this gray hair here is, is because of, because of those. And, uh, so, but that's the journey we've chose and it's it created a lot of freedom to go with the stress. And as a result of that, we're, we're good with the, the risk. And as time goes on to your point, you try to take chips off the table. You know, I've, uh, we've done a little bit of that, but most in the last 20 years we've reinvested, but I see as I get to mid forties, I get to probably 50, I'll probably want to start taking chips off the table and, you know, start socking some stuff away a little safer than maybe I played the game the last, last two decades, but I'm not there yet. I still like it and we're still growing these things and, and um, just hopefully don't get taken on the process. <laughs> so I know David has a question real quick because I can see it in his face, but um, one thing you just said there, right, was personal guarantees. Walk me through yeah. what that is, because to me, a personal guarantee, it, it means I'm putting my whole name on the line. So, like, walk me through what a personal guarantee is to you. Yeah, so basically what lenders want in particular, I think it's for almost any kind of ground up project you're doing in a company. So let's just say you you've set up. Steve LLC that's going to build, you know, X unit and next market or whatever it is. Um, but, you know, Steve LLC has zero assets or 500 grand or not, not enough to cover what the loan's going to be if they have to, have to re, if they have to recourse the loan. So usually they want a personal guarantee to say, okay, I want to go after Steve and Carrie Potaski, you know, personal assets in the event this thing totally goes, you know, tits up and to make sure I can, I'm made whole. Now, personal guarantees are hard to enact and it's, it's tricky and everything else. But generally what, you know, what a bank would look at or a hard money lender is like, I like the certainty that they have, they're, they're willing to put on the line. And we've done it um, like still, like we still do it because, but I won't put it on the line unless I'm actually finding myself in a position that I have near total certainty that it would never be an issue. But near total certainty is not total certainty. So you're always playing, playing a bit of a game with that, knowing that, if I have a million dollar loan and I can only make up 800 grand, they can come after me for $200,000 personally, or in some of our bigger projects, you know, far more substantial amounts that could really wipe us out. So we, we, you know, sometimes you can do limit to personal guarantees. So um, I'm, you know, in this particular case, I'm limiting to a million dollar guarantee. So that's the most you can come after me. And if you, if the project loses 2 million, you get a million from me and a million is you're on the hook for. So if you're doing a personal guarantee, which is kind of a necessary part of the game. Often, if you want to get the types of money you need to get, um, then you just got to be comfortable that you're willing to to stick it through till the end to make sure they never have to make that very uncomfortable phone call from their lawyer asking for the money. Um, but it's, uh, it's certainly part of the lending game is uh, requiring that. Well, you know, you brought up a point earlier of you can either do what you're doing and try to get rich, or you can be an employee and just retire. Yeah. Um, all of us, you know, have our hands in something that hopefully will make it so that we do get, you know, a decent amount of money at some point here. You know, I, I'm part owner of a business. Nick has his rental properties and, and you obviously have this fantastic, um, rental. I, I guess my question here is, you know, what, what advice do you give to somebody, you know, who's in their early twenties? going, you know, no, none of this is really possible for me. You know, how do you, how do you set them up for dreaming for, you know, better? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's an awesome point. And, you know, there's, I feel like I kind of look at it through this lens. It's some things you're passionate about that when time almost becomes infinite, if you really love something, like there's no, 
amount of hours in the day that you can't work because, you know, I really love travel and I really love, you know, real estate. So, but I had no very limited experience in both, but I just used the 24 hours in the day I had to become proficient at it because I loved it. Now, some cases people can't choose what they love or they don't necessarily know what they love. And sometimes you just fall in love with something by doing something over and over and over again. So you don't suck at it, you become good at it. And you're like, once you become good at it, it's like, oh, actually, I kind of do love this. So for the, you know, call it the 20-year-old, you know, I'd say pick pick a career or a job. Like if, let's say you need a job because you just can't like, jump in the entrepreneurial space, work for an entrepreneur. Number one, if you work for corporate America, you're going to get stuck in the, the ladder and it's very, very, very hard to leave. The certainty that comes with the health benefits and the you know, the, the, the pension or whatever the thing may be. So if you really have a passion for entrepreneurship, I would just say, don't do that. It doesn't mean there can't be good learning there, but work for an entrepreneurial business. And that could be a big entrepreneurial business or a small entrepreneurial business, but it may mean you don't get paid as much, but your, your learning is going to be exceptional in your twenties, which is like such a formative decade. So, and don't think you have to pick the thing that's going to be your only thing, but it's a season of life where you can have incredible learning from. So that'd be number one. And then when you do pick up, you know, a horse that you want to attach your car to, whether it's an entrepreneur or an idea, whatever it may be, you got to be prepared to go all in. I, I mentor a lot of you know young business owners and such because I had many mentors mentor me and still do. Is you're only kind of half in, you know, half pregnant and half part of it. Not, there's always someone that's going to be better than you. So just expect that you're never going to be as good as your neighbor, and you're just never probably going to be successful. But when I tell people like, well, what's it take to get good at something? I don't know. 500 hours, like, you know, a thousand hours to be like, good, become great. 10,000 hours. Like people are like, Oh my God, that's like 10 years. I'm like, yeah, well, frick, you know, 20, you're 24. Like, what, like what's the rush? Think if you, if someone said I had this guy, um, um, gentleman I was chatting with the other day as a friend of mine and he's feeling a little bit down about the financial situation Been working hard for 20 years, maybe he's accumulated about a you know, couple million bucks, which isn't bad by any means. It's relative for the effort he's put in the size of business he had. But he's going into his 40s, like prime earning years. And I said, well, if, if you're younger, if, you know, 20 years ago, I said you'd be, you'd be worth $30 million in 30 years. You'd say, awesome. So you're only worth two now, but how do you make 28 in the next 10 years? Like you can massively accelerate because you have the gift of experience, you know, looking back. It's very, very hard to get wealthy in your 20s. But you can get wealthy on intel and wealthy on relationships and wealthy on connections and all these things that are the, the, the necessary pieces to snowball. And the problem is people are always looking for the silver bullet in this stuff. There is no silver bullet unless you win the lottery. It's a thousand BBs. And every one of those BBs over a period of time rolls into when the time comes, when you're 27, 34, 42, 51, whatever the time is life, it's like, I have it. In this next 10 years of life, you can make a lot of money, create a lot of freedom for your family, um, but just don't waste it away by doing something you don't love, you're just kind of, pl you're punched in the clock eight to four, you're probably only working four hours a day in reality and surfing Facebook, the rest and Instagram and looking at violent acts in Mexico, <laughs> whatever you get stuck down the rabbit hole on. And, uh, you know, so when I mentor these young guys, I said, don't rush it, work for an entrepreneur, you know, so you can learn and you can see the stresses that come with it, by the way, when you work directly for an entrepreneur, my team is amazing. I feel very blessed because They've worked for a bit of a, you know, it's a you know, crazy entrepreneur. My ideas have shifted many times over the last 20 years. But it was for me, it was to find this thing. And all those things were super important for that season of life. Now we found what we believe is the thing, as I'm 43, I'm 44, that's going to take me the next 10 years. That's going to hopefully create the maximum impact for me, my team, my clients, my partners, everyone else. And I would only have done it if I would have, you know, ground through the last 20 years of the ups and downs of that side.
So for what it's worth, that'd be kind of my advice to someone who's young and, and, and hungry, but not really sure where to like, uh, you know, stake their claim. You don't have to stake your claim, you, but you got to like be a student of the game. And you got to, the only way to become a student of the game is learning by yourself, which by the way, everything's for free online. Like I never had that growing up. You didn't. Everything for free is online. You, no one can come to me and say, well, how do I learn that? Google, how to learn become a real estate investor, how to learn to become like there's so much free education. It's totally mind boggling now. So there's no excuse for someone to not be actually proficient on the mechanics of a deal. They haven't lived a deal. They haven't come up with the money yet, but they understand the process of what it would be to be there. Then watching an entrepreneur experience it, the ups and downs of it. And then eventually there'll be a time where you go in on your own, you know, with a partner or by yourself or you raise friends and family money or whatever it is. And you'll feel far, far more prepared. But it very much frustrates me, which is unfortunately part of this generation, is just the requirement for instant gratification. Without instant results, people give up. And I could have given up many times along the way, as you could have, Nick could have, and everyone else. But you stick it out because you're looking at that season of life as not necessarily about making a bunch of money, but about like making a bunch of, um, I'll say memories, but experience and creating knowledge that you wouldn't be able to get otherwise by just working a nine to five job somewhere else. Doesn't mean you won't get some experience for that, but I don't think it's quite as fruitful, you know, than if you were to uh, to pick something within your, I guess your passion, your passion wheelhouse. Yeah. And I think those are great points. Cause I mean, you know, Nick sat the, the most important class he took in high school was with a teacher that's like, go find me rental properties. And Nick literally started looking into properties and that started him as a real estate investor you know, I, I wanted to learn more about investing. So I went and learned about investing and, you know, that gave me the ability to, you know, build a really nice portfolio for my kid who's 28 years old and has more money in the stock market than I do. <laughs> I'm going to actually add one thing to this. This is something mm -hmm. I'm, I did to a certain degree. I think I could have done more, maybe not. I don't know. I think I could probably stretch as far as I could, but something I did, I recommend others to do work. If you, if you feel like how to like, get that experience work for free for an entrepreneur so okay i i need my consistent income my 40 hours a week that makes my 70 grand a year whatever it is in the bank to pay i got a, i got a child at home i got a mortgage great you're still awake for another roughly 80 hours a week you know you're we're awake for 100 to 120 hours a week you know you're alive out of bed so take 20 hours a week you know it's like an evening job or morning job get before in the morning i don't care like it's there's, there's plenty of time to do it no one wants to do it of course it's hard but go work for Steve and say, I'm, I'm not, this isn't like a call to action for listeners, but like, I will work for free for you. You put any, me on any job, I'll give you 20 hours a week for six months and anything. All I want to have is experience. Dude, like, I'd be like, sign on up and we're going to put them on, you know, I'm going to, I probably would still pay them because I feel like if someone's got the balls to actually, I'll make that offer. I'm going to like honor the work they're putting in. Some people may just say, great, I'll take the free labor. But it's not a time wasted if you choose the right person to work for, mm. but no one wants to work for free because you're like, it's just, that's the sad thing about it. It's not working for free. You're gaining something that's way more valuable than this $17 an hour you're going to get paid. But a lot of people can only afford to have so many people like that on their payroll. So you need inexpensive labor. So it's, it's like invalu invaluable form of mentorship and experience you otherwise can't get. So if I was a 22 year old at college, so taking my, my travel year, and going to rack up even more debt and everything else not to say it's bad and like it's, it's fine maybe people have done that but i'd go work for someone for free for a year live on a shoestring budget in my parents basement until i gained insane amount of knowledge and almost guaranteed unless you're a bad worker that person's going to pay you a crap ton of money to keep you when you decide to go somewhere else 
or you now have the experience to say what you did and did not like as part of that role. But people are so eager to make money. You already put yourself in $100,000 in debt in, in college or whatever it may be. Why not just spend another year living off craft dinner for your parents? And it, I'm sure your parents, for the most part, you know, most people would say they'd probably be fine with that if they're gaining valuable experience. Now, some parents would say, no, go get a job. And we're always like dictated by how we we're raised. But that's the old way. This is this is the new way. And knowledge is more, more powerful than money because knowledge will get you the money in the, in the later stages of life. Oh, and then some. I, you know, this is where we agree beyond belief. <laughs> uh, I have people reach out to me all the time. You know, hey, Nick, I, I want to pick your brand. And so I had a friend of mine call me out, right? Like, and people don't realize this because they don't believe it's true. So my really great friend said, hey, we go to all these meetup events. We go to these these things and he goes all you ever do is just give knowledge to people for free mm-hmm. why don't why don't you ever ask for anything and i was like no fucking no dude like they're asking <laughs> and I'm, just, I'm just gonna give it right like um and to me you know i didn't i didn't get everything handing me a silver platter but i was six months into real estate and i met a mentor who then gave me knowledge and i still like now, now, if you ask me and if you ask him, we are good friends, right? Like mm-hmm. I ended up in the hospital, oh, a month ago or so, like whatever. And he called me and he's like, hey, I heard through a friend, through a friend, like that you're not doing well. What's up? And I was like, hey, don't worry about it. Like, well, like really at the end of the day, like those are the people you want to surround yourself with, right? The people that actually care about you and you know, I say when we hang up with this, I'm going to make a phone call to somebody else because I'm going to be like, hey, man, how are you doing? Because I haven't heard from you in this long and you uh-huh. were you were good to me. Right. Like and, uh, you know, they're young kids, young kids who work in Michigan and Texas. Things like that. Steve, I have a million more questions. I want you to know that. Um, are you, are you, I know we could probably talk for hours. <laughs> it's a great combo. <laughs> are you willing to come back on in the next few months? I'm somewhere yeah, in the next six months. Talk about love things. to, love to. But then I'll be like, lunch. I'll tell you if it's a failure or not. If the, the business went off the ground, or if I'm still spinning my wheels, so I'll get I'll give you some real proof in the pudding, or tell you it's been a failure. But hopefully not. <laughs> we would appreciate it because really, like I'm lying. Like I have like at this moment, I have like eight other questions, but I'm gonna save them. Um, for, for somewhere between, you know, next week and six months from now, and we're hoping to have you back on. Are you willing to come back on? Of course, guys. That was an awesome conversation. You guys rock super thoughtful questions. You know, I learned a lot. So yeah, count me in. Let's pick a time in the spring. By then again, we'll be off the, our launch will be real. I'll be able to give you some, you know, this is all conceptual. We worked on it for a year and a half, but like, it'd be cool to say, oh, actually we did launch and here's where we floundered and here's where it's found success and how we pivoted and, so it'll, it'll be chapter two of the story, but I would love to be back on and thank you. It's been, been an honor being on this one. I, um, I'm going to go ahead and try this, see if it works for me. Um, here's all the stuff I've drank tonight. Um, so right <laughs> from old style or sorry, from outside ales, new Glarus, a KBS from 2016, uh, Hazel's lots from like, who knows when, uh, new Glarus, which is brand new for my brother, uh, PBR. So I've I've had a few beers tonight. Um, <laughs> David, could you see all that? I, I couldn't. You doubled me up, my friend. I had the three that I brought. 
Yeah. So, but I loved tonight. Tonight was like, gosh, Steve, like you are going to be. All right. So I'm, I'm 10 years younger than you, but you are going to be so successful. And I have a million, a million questions. I say that I know nine. I I was running through and I was like, Hey, (laughs) wrap this up. But like, all right, these are the nine questions I still have. So let's have you back on after your launch. We're going to send David a message because you, you've been contacted with David. I do not do any technology because I'm, you know, uh, a 90 year olds trapped in a fucking 35 year old body. But (laughs) so we're going to link your, we're going to link your, uh, your website. We're going to link you. We're going to any way we can get a contact. The one last thing I have, the one last thing I have to ask for you is because you're in Hawaii, have you met Brandon Turner yet? So if, if funny you say that I've just met Brandon Turner a uh, few weeks ago, connected through a mutual friend. We had a great conversation. He's got a great beard. Yeah. looks a lot like yours. And um, he's a really, really good guy. He's on Maui. So we've said we'd try to see if we can connect to one of the islands in the next uh, month or two. So yeah, he seemed like a great dude, loving real estate and doing some pretty cool things in the space. So my only problem with Brandon is he has less experience than you do, but had a bigger platform than you have mm-hmm. yeah and I'll, I'll tell him square to his face right like i'm not afraid to admit it like he he didn't get handed anything he earned it but everybody trusts him and does the things that he's supposed to so you know he he's out here trying to raise money syndication i don't do syndications now that i have some money to my name my friends are now teaching me to try to go into syndication and i was like I just don't trust people. I don't like people. I don't want David and I have an agreement. We fucking hate people. All right. First thing we, first thing we'll ever say to your face, I don't like you. But here we go. So Steve, uh, real quick before we end up, tell everybody how they could find you and find your the stuff you offer. And what, give a shout out to time. your beer again. Yeah, yeah. So, Aloha uh, Warrior, Kona Coast Microbrewery, good spot. If you're on the Big Island, only place you can get it. So, great spot. I've just been dry for a while. I should have had my wife bring two, um, but I look forward to another one. It's getting to that time of day, which is perfect. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's funny you say that about like Brandon. Like some of these guys that have built an amazing platform, like like inspirational. I've kind of done the opposite. And I'll say, I guess it is intentionally, but you know almost anonymously the last kind of 20 years. No one really knows. This is my first story in a podcast and sharing the story. I've never been active on social and any of the platforms, but it's something I need to do a better job at because I think there are, you know, some parts of the message that could resonate with people. So today is a treat and always gives me a little bit of uh, inspiration and, uh, and a kick in the pants to uh, to get things going. So what you can expect is follow LuxusVP.com. I am on LinkedIn. I don't post very often and on social uh, Instagram, Stephen Potaski. But expect that that is going to ramp up in a big way in the next kind of 30 to 60 days. So you may see not much inspirational, more me, me catching fish at our fishing lodge or something like that. Um, but you'll see more things related to this type of real estate content coming forward because it's people like you I look up to that have uh, been able to do this. And uh, if we can, you know, spread a good message and get some good intel, then uh, that's part of part of the part of the role. Yeah, that's great, Steve. Awesome. Um Stick around. We're we're going to talk to you off air for just a minute. Nick, hit us with your normal. So, as always, this is really, we're only in February for me, which sucks. 
but uh, this is going to be one of my year-end review podcast episodes because one of your favorites. It, it really is. Like, Steve, I can't wait for the next episode because I Sweet. really, I, I do admire you, man. Like, honestly, I think you're doing great things for what you're doing. Um, you. All the listeners, please like, subscribe, share, tell your friends, tell your family, because I promise you, in the next six months when we have him back on, because I'm going to make David do it. Perfect. Uh, this really is, this is a wealth of fucking knowledge in an out two hour video. You're, you're going to be so successful. If you listen to any part of this conversation to get you to start your drive and be successful. So like subscribe, share, tell your friends, tell your family, and hopefully your grandma fucking invest with you. <laughs> friends oh, yeah, and family, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week with who knows what. Um, Yeah. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate you guys both. Absolutely. You've dialed in to Box and Brews. You might hear something you can use. Like tips on your cash or tips on the suds. You're going to want to use the smarts of these studs. Because they know the brews. And they know the box. And they know they can't help the stubborn fucks. So listen up, because shit's not funny. And save yourself some beer money. Bucks and brews. Bucks and brews. Bucks and brews. Bucks and brews.